All right, if you've got a Bible, uh, digital or paper, uh, if you're here or watching my Facebook Live, hey, look, I got my sleeve today, ready to go. Got my baby Yoda uh, holding my coffee this morning. Compliments of Nicole and Miguel, so thank you. Uh, if you um, got a Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Man, I love you guys. This, like, literally, some of my favorite people on the planet are sitting in this room right now, and I didn't realize. Like how the first service was awesome, uh, but I've known most of those people in that first service for more than a year. Some of you I've known for more than a year. Some of you I've known less than a year. Man, I love you guys. And uh, I'm just sitting there worshiping with by Howard and um, singing, listening to him sing. God is really good. And he's done some incredible things in, in your life and among us. And, um, and I'm really glad you're here today. Really glad. If it's your first time or your hundredth time, Super honored that you would choose to be here this morning. In recent weeks, I've talked with pastors. Uh, I have the privilege of having some pastors who are friends, some pastors who I get to kind of coach, some pastors who kind of mentor me. So I've talked in recent weeks with pastors from Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina, Kentucky, Ohio, Boston, New Hampshire, Rhode Island. Uh, I've talked with pastors of churches that are less than a year old. And I've talked with pastors of churches that are well over 100 years old. I've talked with pastors of churches that haven't even started yet, where the church is less than 20 people right now. They'll start in the next few months. I've talked with a pastor of a church of 10,000 people. Uh, I've talked with pastors of white churches, black churches, Spanish-speaking churches, Haitian churches, Cambodian churches, Brazilian churches, and more, even some multi-ethnic churches. And over and over, they continue to tell me the same thing. And I think it's important that we talk about it today as a church because I keep hearing, regardless of a church's age, ethnic breakdown, size, anything, they keep saying the same thing to me. And here's what it is. They keep saying, J.D., I feel like we're losing the middle in our church. I feel like we've lost the middle in our church in the last year. And so today, if today's message has a title, if you're a note taker, the title would be Recapturing the Middle. Because I want to talk about what those pastors mean when they talk about the middle. I want us to look at scripture when it talks about the middle and even see if there's some of the middle in our church that we need, whether it's on Facebook Live or in person, to make sure we capture and recapture in the next season. The middle, the people in the middle would be the person who is a follower of Christ, but not really yet a mature follower of Christ, okay? It's the person who maybe in the last year has kind of stopped coming to church or kind of stopped engaging digitally. Um, and they look like the person who has just gone nine rounds with Mike Tyson in the prime of his career while also trying to play a chess match with Beth Harmon from the Queen's Gambit. So, like, they look like they have been beaten down physically and mentally by life at the same time. But they love Jesus, it's just the last year has been tough on their faith. Pandemic's been tough. The uncertainty of the past year has been really, really brutal. While some people have thrived, we're going to talk about those in a minute, many people feel really beaten down. And some Christians, some followers of Christ have wandered. Some have gone backwards. And there's this middle in churches uh, everywhere right now. And maybe you feel like you're in the middle, like you've been beaten down emotionally or physically or spiritually some of you are thriving, but you're compassionate and you even see folks in the middle because you maybe have seen less of them or like they literally just look like glazed over, like they're just trying to make it. Do you know anybody in your life who it looks like they're just trying to make it right now, even as they follow Christ? 
I'm thankful today that pastoring people in the middle is not a new phenomenon. In fact, the Apostle Paul started churches all over the Roman Empire. Very strategically, Paul started churches in large cities in the Roman Empire. And he started this one church, a really, really great church. Like, there's some bad churches in the New Testament. If you ever want to hear the story of a crazy church, go read the book of 1 Corinthians. Literally, they, that church was so caught up in sin, they were doing stuff that would make you blush. Um, but this church, we're going to read a verse from today, the church at Thessalonica is a really great church. But they've got a crowd of folks there who found themselves in a similar place as to Christians who are stuck in the middle. Now, the ancient city of Thessalonica, let me give you some geographical context. If Athens is here, we, we all know today where the city of Athens, Greece is on the inner part of the Mediterranean. Thessalonica was just above it. It was a good ways above it. And th- they were both port cities, but Athens sort of exceeded Thessalonica in cultural influence and impact in the Roman Empire. And so Thessalonica uh, was Boston, essentially in size and in scrap and in culture and in attitude, where Athens would have been New York City in its influence and importance to the Roman Empire. And so in his letter, which I would encourage you to read, like some of you have said, JD, I'd like to read the Bible, not really sure where to start. First Thessalonians is a great book of the Bible to start with, uh, to read if you're, if you're reading. In his letter to this church, he celebrates their faith, he points out the things that would threaten the church, and he calls them to holiness and unity. And at the end of the letter, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, I think we've got this verse, we're going to throw it up this morning, Paul says this, we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. That sounds like a pastor's job description, right? Like that sounds like what any good pastor should do. And so I've read this verse dozens and dozens of times over the years, and I love it. It's actually one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. But when Paul wrote it, he's actually not writing to pastors. Now, how do I know that? Let me skip up two verses to verse 12, and let me just read to you verse 12. Paul says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. That would be the pastors, right? So before he gave that verse in verse 14, he says, we encourage you to like honor your pastors, respect them, esteem them very highly, verse 13 says, in love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves. Then verse 14, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now he challenges pastors and leaders elsewhere in this letter, but this practical advice and the statements after it are aimed at you guys. They're aimed at the, the people in the pew of, first, uh, of Thessalonica in the first century. It's aimed at Christ followers who make up the church to help other Christ followers. So as we unpack that today, whether you're in here or watching on Facebook Live, I want to tell you, you're going to wonder, some of you, is he talking about me? Have you ever been to church and the pastor's talking you're like, I think he's talking about me. Has that ever happened to you? I think he's talking about me. Yeah, a couple of you. Totally. I'm not talking about you. I would never preach at you. Like if I have an issue with Barb, I'm not going to preach a sermon about Barb and then kind of look over at her and wink like I'm talking about. Like I love Barb and she loves me enough that we would go work that out. So I'm never going to preach a sermon at you today or any day in the future ever, ever, ever. But there may come times, and this has probably happened to you, it certainly happened to me, where I've sat in church and I've heard a sermon and I've watched a sermon and thought, oh man, that was written just for me. Has that ever happened to you? 
That totally has happened to us. It's like God created that message for you. So maybe today that will be you. Now, there are five types of people here today. The first type of person is the one who is not yet a follower of Christ. Maybe they were raised religious. Maybe they were raised in church, but they've not yet decided to follow Christ. They're thinking, they're watching, they're coming with a friend or parent or a loved one. I love watching the not yet followers of Christ because they're the ones who watch me, but they also kind of look around and they're watching you. That's one group that's here today, maybe digitally or in person. The second group that's here today is the new Christian or the person who's new to Christ Church. By show of hands, this is going to be really fun. How many of you have started coming in the last 12 months to Christ Church Charlestown? Yeah? If it's your first time, you can kind of raise your hand too. Megan, I know you. I see you under that mask. Yeah. A lot of you. That's like over half of you. That's incredible. Here's what is statistically true. There are a lot of people, and I don't know if it was because a pandemic online church gave people some anonymity, or I don't know if it was the weight of everything that was going on culturally, but if you're new, you are not the middle. If you're new, you're part of this exciting thing that God's doing in our city and in, in, in our country right now, where people are open to faith in a way that they haven't been in over 20 years. It's pretty incredible. The third group that's here today is mature believers. I didn't say people who've been Christians a long time. By mature believers, I mean people who can spiritually kind of self-feed and make a disciple who can make a disciple. Maybe it's somebody who's been a Christian a long time. Maybe it's not. Some of you didn't grow up in church, but you would be mature believers. Some of you did in your mature believers. I'm not meaning people who can quote a lot of Bible verses. I don't mean people who look religious or anything like that. I mean people who are mature believers, all right? And then there's the middle. So on one end, we've got these new believers and not yet believers. On the other end, we've got mature followers of Christ. And then there's the middle. And the middle is Christ followers before pandemic and still, but not quite yet able to self-feed spiritually. Maybe they needed church family or biblical teaching or, um, or community or accountability or regular rhythms of discipleship. Probably they needed the call to holiness and surrender from a pastor or friend. Scott and I get together every now and then. Scott would, I'm picking on him, but he would be quick to tell you pandemic has been tough on his faith. He needs to serve. He needs to see you. He needs this in a powerful way. There's a lot of people like that and that's okay. Like, that's where we are. We've got to own where we are and always appreciate his humility. Now, the fifth group that's here is the paranoid. How many of you get, like, religious guilt? I've heard people in Charlestown call it Irish guilt, Catholic guilt, religious guilt. Uh, The paranoid and heavy laden will hear voices of condemnation and guilt telling you, you're a terrible person. Listen to the Holy Spirit. He speaks with a very still, small voice, and he will Tell your heart how to move forward today. The truth is, I'm talking to all of us, including myself, and echoing Paul's words in verse 14. And I want to challenge us to recapture the middle who are struggling across our country and perhaps even in our church. Paul gives four explicit commands to these brothers and sisters, anyone in Thessalonica who's a follower of Christ and part of the church in that city, to help people who are struggling. All right. And so we're going to walk through those four explicit commands today because I believe it applies as we recapture the middle. Now, the first thing he says, admonish the idol, admonish the idol. The NIV translates it a little better. It says, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Now, the church in first century Thessalonica did something that almost never happened in church history. 
They were so convinced that Jesus was going to return, like he said he would, that the men quit their jobs. And they started just like leaning on the fence post. Can I go this far away? Am I okay? Uh, They started leaning on the fence post and kind of talking and just talking like, you think Jesus is coming back today? And they would just watch the sky. Is he going to come back today? Is he coming back today? They quit their jobs. They weren't making money. And then they were coming to the church and saying, hey, would you mind feeding my family this month? I'm a little short. And Paul said, get back to work. What are you doing if a man doesn't work and he doesn't eat? Because they were so busy, they were so heavenly minded that they ceased to be any earthly good. They were idle. And Paul said, warn them. Now today, our problem as followers of Christ isn't so much that we're so worried about Jesus coming back that we're not effective in this world. We're actually the opposite. Like our world has nice, shiny things And we have the attention spans of little squirrels, and we forget that Christ is coming back. And so we get very comfortable in not pursuing Christ and living for him in the world. And so Paul said, warn the idol. The people in the Iditarod race, have you ever seen the Iditarod races in Alaska? You know, I'm talking about the huskies that run through the Arctic Circle. Uh, Iditarod racers talk about dishonest dogs. A dishonest dog on an Iditarod team is a dog that can lean against the harness to look like it's racing when in actuality it's not putting forth any effort at all. It's acting and it's leaving the work to the rest of the dogs. The church in Thessalonica had some dishonest dogs who were relying on uh, others in the church to live out the mission, share the gospel, fund the ministry, disciple one another, and new believers. And Paul called on the Christians to warn them. Why? Because idleness feels like neutral. And we've created three categories, generally in our culture, for followers of Christ. Now, the first uh, silo is not yet followers of Christ. This is, I love living in Charlestown, because if somebody's not a follower of Jesus, they'll usually tell you. Like, they don't beat around the bush. I like that. The the other uh, category that Jesus talks about is disciples. And in Matthew 16, Jesus said, now, if anybody wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and come follow me. But we've created a false category in America, among American Christians, that says I can be a Christian, but not a disciple. I can be going to heaven and have forgiveness, but not really be all in with Christ. And in the scripture, there's no middle category. Like we're either with him or we're not. We're following Jesus or we're following ourselves in our own way. And so we've got in the, in the American church... A lot of dishonest dogs who are giving the appearance of a relationship with God, but not actually walking in grace and living the Christ life. And so an idle Christian thinks he or she is in neutral, but there are no neutral Christians. So what does Paul tell the church to do? If there's a command for the idol where he says, warn the idol, here's the command. He would say, change, change. If you're idle, he said, change. And if there's a posture, it would be Paul pointing his finger and saying, change. You have to change. You have to be changed. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, doesn't just sort of do alien abduction where God captures us and changes us against our will. If something in our life changes in pursuit of holiness and relationship with God, it's because we partner with God to see it happen. And so Paul says, change, repent, let yourself be shaped by the gospel. No more coasting, faking, leaning without striving, or waiting on God to change your habits. No more neutral. 
My mom was here in the first service. She's here for a few days uh, for my uh, youngest son's birthday. Owen is tomorrow. And so my mom used to yell at me and point the finger at me occasionally. I don't know if your moms were like this. If my mom ever said all three of my names, I knew I was in trouble. John David Mangrum, and that finger would be pointing, and I was in deep, deep trouble. When the finger came out and the name got all three names, I knew it was time to change. And Paul would say to the idol, he would say to the church, warn the idol. Change, be changed by the gospel, be changed by the gospel. Second, he says, encourage the faint-hearted. That word faint-hearted is the only time it's used in the Bible this way. It literally means little soul. Little life, not like small, like an empty tank. He says, encourage the the little souls, the little strength. It could be someone who's timid. It could be someone who is discouraged. Paul tells the church to encourage them to come alongside them. Now, why were they faint-hearted? If you read 1 Thessalonians, they had a few things happen. Some of them, this church had pastors who moved. God called them to different cities. They had leaders who were persecuted. They had older people in the church who died. They were beginning to be persecuted. It was really hard to follow Christ in Thessalonica. It was a very pagan city. And so they were dealing with trials and temptations as a new church. And Paul tells the Christians to encourage the timid and discourage. He doesn't mock them. He doesn't belittle them. He doesn't uh, minimize what's going on. He doesn't even call on the faint-hearted to be warned. Let me ask you, and if you're watching on Facebook Live, you have the advantage here because I even want to give you permission to write in the comments. What discourages you in your faith? None of us are Superman or Superwoman. You got Superman with you, don't you, Junior? Show everybody. Nobody here is Superman. Here, hold him up. That's not me spiritually. Can you show? Oh, you got to get him moved just right. I got it. I get it, brother. Oh, there he is. That's not us. That's not you and me. We're not Superman. I wish I were. And because we're not, sometimes we need to be, thank you, Junior. You're amazing, brother. Uh, Sometimes we need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged. Where do you need encouragement? What makes your soul small if you're a Christian in the middle? Pandemic's been tough on faith. It's been hard to follow Christ when we've seen people we know die. It's been hard to follow Christ when we've had financial insecurity. It's been hard to follow Christ when we've worked harder than we ever had and had less human connection than we ever had. And even if there'd been no pandemic, it's hard to follow Jesus here in this city. Like not many of you probably have a ton of coworkers who follow Christ boldly. A lot of you don't have family members who are real outspoken about following Christ. It can be easy to become discouraged or timid here in following Jesus. So I wish we could even go around the room and say, who needs encouragement today? But here's what I will say. If you're not in the middle, or maybe you've been in the middle, there are people sitting in this room and watching live who do need encouragement. And God may want you to do that. You don't have to do the New England thing. I'd never seen this in the South, but New England, like in the South, people are fake nice to you, so they'll listen to you. In New England, like you see somebody coming to you and you know they want something or they want to offer, and you go, what are you? I'm all set. I'm all set. I'm all set. Thanks. I'm all set. Like, I mean, somebody could offer you $1,000. You'd be like, I'm all set, man. We don't want to be indebted to someone, right? Like, we need to receive encouragement and not be all set. 
What does Paul tell the church to tell the faint-hearted? If, if change and the pointed finger was what we do for the idol, then with the people who are discouraged and timid, we come alongside and we put our arm around them and we say, I'm with you. I see you. We're in this together. We're going somewhere. And I want you to go with us. And that's not fake. Rather, this is the people of God with access to the word of God, the sword of the spirit, and dwelt by the spirit of God with Tom Brady intensity yelling, let's go, let's get after it. We can do this. We're heading somewhere. And why should we be encouraged? I'm really glad you asked. Let me share a few reasons why I think we in 2021 can be encouraged as Christ Church Charlestown, as followers of Christ in this city. One, because God never changes. The Bible tells us situations change, God never changes. Two, God isn't surprised or off his throne. When it feels like your life is going off the rails, God is not. He is not off of his throne. Number three, pandemic will not last forever. We call this sermon, we talk about the post-quarantine church. We are moving out of quarantine. We are not moving out of pandemic. I want to tell you, like, there's going to be a movement in our culture. This is off the notes when I get in trouble, Howard. There's going to be a movement in our culture in the next few weeks. There are going to be people that are going to say, you cannot return to church. You cannot return to normal. You cannot return to life, to visiting family, to what life was like before, until there are zero COVID cases. This is not going to be how it's going to work, guys. We've got to be the post-quarantine church and the post-quarantine people of God. We will not be the post-pandemic people of God. Now, we don't be cavalier. We don't be foolish. We don't do any of that. We're trying to move forward. We've got to emerge from quarantine while still in the midst of pandemic. And we've got to do that in faith with boldness and love and care and everything else. Another reason to be encouraged, the church never stopped meeting or weakened during pandemic. The church of Jesus has advanced in the last year. Another reason, God will restore what has been broken, stolen, or taken in the past year. The Old Testament calls this the day of the Lord. I wish we could camp out there. We won't. I want to tell you, you can be encouraged because the gospel is true and the gospel works and the gospel is working. I'm watching the gospel change some of your lives more and more every day. I want to tell you that the gospel is winning globally, even in persecution, even in pandemic, and even in the midst of everything else. I want to tell you the gospel is winning in Boston, and the gospel is winning in Charlestown. God is working in your lives. It's a slow process, but there are more churches and more Christians here than there were last year or five years ago. I want to tell you, you can't do this. Be encouraged. You can't do this. Sean, you can't live the Christian life. Teresa, you cannot live the Christian life. Jenny, you cannot live the Christian life. Vaskin, you cannot live the Christian life. But God can. God can. God can. And Christ in you can. Be encouraged by the power of the gospel. In our church right now, people are trusting Christ for salvation. Marriages are being restored. Finances are getting straightened out in a way that aligns with God's plan for money. Anxiety is losing. Depression is losing. People are making a costly decision and surrendering their sexuality to live in holiness. Sinful habits are dying. Godly habits are forming. People are giving joyfully to God and to mission. And neighbors and businesses and schools and others are hearing the good news of the gospel in words and in deeds in a powerful way. 
the gospel is winning. You cannot do it, but Christ can. Be encouraged and encourage one another. We recapture the middle by encouraging the timid. And the third thing he said, we help the weak. Paul called on the brothers and sisters to help the weak, to hold on to the weak. Now, what does that mean? These weren't backsliders. They weren't pagans. They weren't hypocrites. They weren't fakers. They were people who had lost their strength in the journey of faith. How many of you have just lost strength in the journey of faith before? How many of you? Yeah. It's scary when that happens. Like, there have been times, months in my journey, <clears throat> where I felt like my prayers didn't get past the ceiling. And I was scared. And, and times where I just felt like I couldn't believe, I couldn't obey, uh, nothing. Paul says, help the weak. Helping the weak doesn't mean you hurt them, you break them, you punish them, or you single them out. Helping the weak also doesn't mean that you baby them, enable them, uh, or let a Christ follower deceive them. It means to help them out. You help the weak, Paul says. You help the weak. I want to brag on my boys. So we started Mangrum Academy this year. Public school was just getting, like digital school was just too much. So we started that. And part of, part of Mangrum Academy is PE with Nick. And part of that is miserable for my boys. But Nick makes them do push-ups and sit-ups almost every day, right? And when they started, like, they were getting more reps in on swearing in their hearts than they were on push-ups. Um, like, they were like Fred Flintstone and the Flintstones. You remember that? Was like, like, that was them. The other day, though, because Nick is pushing them on push-ups and sit-ups, Noah did as many push-ups in one setting as I can do. That's pretty cool. He's come a long way because he's been being pushed in his journey. A friend of mine was a trainer in a gym, and one of his trainees was a German woman who taught him a German proverb. Now, he could say it in German. I can't. I wouldn't do it anyway. But this phrase was, um, soft healers make stinking wounds. That's not biblical, but that should be biblical. Soft healers make stinking wounds. In other words, when we go to help the weak and we baby them in their discipleship journey, we're actually creating an infection that's going to come back to get them later. And if we love people and we want to recapture the middle, we're going to have to help them by pushing them in, in pursuit of Christ. So what does Paul tell the church to do to help the weak? If, if one posture was this and one posture was this and it was change and come on the journey with us. This one is like someone spraining their ankle. I remember that day on Green Street. It's someone putting their arm around them and saying, I'm going to help you get where we're going. I'm going to help you get where you're going and saying one more rep, one more step. Let's keep going. Help the weak. Help them one more rep. If you see the weak in the middle, you begin to help them walk again. And finally, over all of it, Paul commands, be patient with them all. Our country and our world is full of Christians right now who are discouraged, idle, weak, timid, faint-hearted, beat up, beat down, vulnerable, and longing for more. It took a year to get into this spot. What God's done in some of your lives in the last year, it's been the best life, the best year of your life spiritually. For others, it's been the hardest year in their journey. They, we didn't get here overnight. We won't get out of it overnight, but we will get out of it. We will get out of it together. But we've got to recapture the middle as a church, and we will do it as you warn, encourage, and help Christ followers who make up our church. 
The Bible's a community book, and these are community verses. These are community verses. We can't leave anyone behind. There are people literally who in the next three months, if we're not careful, will fall behind in our church. They'll pop in for 30 seconds on Facebook Live on Sundays, but they will be falling behind, and we've got to catch, catch them and go after them and love them at their point of need. Paul is literally saying in his Southern Roman accent, Y'all go get y'all. Y'all go get y'all. Y'all call a spade a spade and y'all be patient as y'all journey forward in grace. This isn't pastor work. This is church work that we do. We go and we get one another. Here's what I believe with all my heart. I've told it to Carson and Lana and Scott and Natalie and Kayla and a few others who've been here for a while. When our church gets to 50 people on Sundays, we're going to look around and say, huh, God's doing something here. Even that there are this many people in this service today after there were so many in the first service is incredible to me. And when our church gets to 100 people on Sundays, our community is going to look up and go, huh, something's happening there. See, right now, a lot of people in our communities think we're a weird cult. Um, and so uh, I remember at the Harvard Kent, we had the storage room down there and we had everything labeled. And one of the pieces of equipment we had was called the snake. It was how you wrapped cable and store cable. And so the principal looked there is like, why are you guys storing snakes in the basement of our school? We're like, bro, we're not storing snakes. That's a piece of sound equipment. He was like, oh, okay. When our church gets to 100, it will cease to be a weird snake church, or it'll be like, God's doing something down there. It's already beginning to happen. It's already beginning to happen. And God loves it when people look up and see he's doing something and want to be part of it. Where people find God at work, people want to join God at work. If you hear nothing else today, hear that. Where people find God at work, people want to join God at work. But these next few weeks will be critical. We need to move forward together, and I need you to help each other do it. What can you do to contribute to the idle being warned, the faint-hearted being encouraged, the weak being helped? Or if you find yourself idle, faint-hearted, or weak, will you change? Or will you come be with us? Or will you give one more rep? For all of us, what do we do next? Can I show you just a few phrases later? This is verse 23. We read verse 14. This is the end of the letter to 1 Thessalonians. I think we may even have these scriptures up. Nick's putting them up right now. This is how Paul wraps up the letter in this section. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you or set you apart completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It is God, not the church. It is God, not the pastor, who changes hearts, who sanctifies. That means to set someone apart. If you are sanctified to the Lord, it means you are set apart and completely as you follow him. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. My dental hygienist, when I lived in Georgia years ago, she had that hanging in a frame on her wall. And I remember she'd be scraping my teeth, and I'm cursing under my, in my heart. But I would be sharing a frustration with her or something God was doing in my life. And she would always say, he who calls you, J.D., he is faithful. You may not be faithful. He is faithful. And he will surely do it. The faith doesn't hinge on you and I. God is the one who does it. And so I would continue and say, whatever God has promised to do, he will do. 
Like Paul asked, I asked, will you pray for me? Will you pray for Natalie? Will you pray for Nick? Will you pray for our church's leaders? Keep greeting one another with the holy elbow bump. Keep greeting one another with smiles so big you can see them under the masks. For some of us, this is the warmest emotional place that you will experience this week because we are faith family. We love watching people chat before and after church. Uh, Keep doing that, Paul would say, and share the message with someone not here. And remember, it is Christ in you. In fact, as Celtic Christians of Ireland would pray hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it is Christ in you, it is Christ with you, it is Christ over you, it is Christ beside you, it is Christ for you. All glory be to Christ. That is the gospel, and that is how we recapture the middle. Let me pray for us, and then we'll wrap it up. God, thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the command to all of us, not just me, certainly to me, but not just me, that we would warn the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. And God, we're at a critical spot in our culture and in our Send Boston network and here even in Christchurch Charlestown where we need to do our best to recapture the middle. And God, I thank you that the strongest witness in our church to Nicole's friends is Nicole. And I thank you that the strongest witness in Ed's circle of friends and his family is Ed. And I thank you, God, that the strongest witness to Jenny's kids is Jenny. And I thank you, God, that the strongest witness to Renee's coworkers and neighbors is Renee. And God, you've not sent these people out just randomly into the city, into their neighborhoods and their friend circles. But so strategically, you've sent all of us. Lord, you've sent every one of us. And I pray that we would join you where you're at work. God, if there's anybody here today who's not given their life to Christ, I pray that they would turn from sin and trust the death and resurrection of Jesus and surrender themselves to you. I thank you this week that somebody did that. God, that's happening more and more in this community and in our church. We thank you for that. We pray you would continue to do that. And God, most of all, we just, I pray we would be the church together, that we would pursue you relentlessly together, and that we wouldn't let anybody fall behind in this season. We love you. We honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.